Welcome to the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our weekly roundup for the week ending 2nd of December 2022. In this week's post, we're talking about batteries, and the point we're making is this. While today's battery industry is being driven by electric vehicles, the application for batteries goes well beyond the gigafactories going up to power all those EVs. And we mention a few of those other applications in the post. And there's a big skills implication here, Michael. There is, because uh, batteries touch, I'd say, almost all parts of the economy. If you just work your way through a few of them, there's first is the storage of energy within the electricity distribution system when we have fallow periods of wind and also solar in terms of lack of sunlight, we need to be able to store either at building level or at systems level to actually push out energy. We also have the whole area of other forms of transport other than cars. I'm thinking of public transport, of train, and also even of planes, where batteries are now making inroads to creating hybrid propulsion systems. We're also seeing changes in how we construct buildings to think about energy creation, i.e. solar and the like, but also storage at building. Some of that is driven by solar installations, but also that's driven by people actually going and buying their EV, but charging their EV by electricity they store and generate on site. So we're seeing batteries popping up literally all over the place. And increasingly, we're seeing high performance batteries being created, some of which is being driven by research, say, at Warwick University and their relationship to the car industry, and also Formula One, as you move into, rather than Formula One, E-Formula One, where we have really high-performance and low-weight batteries that can be charged at rapid speed. Now, I read a piece by The Conversation yesterday saying that the days of the hydrogen car are already over. The reason being that electrical vehicles have the recharging infrastructure in place, whereas the hydrogen equivalent simply doesn't. Uh, not yet, at least. It's the old Betamax versus VHS battle again. But Michael, here's an interesting point. While hydrogen cars offer the same driving experience as the fossil fueled cars we're familiar with, you know, take it to the gas station and fill it up, EVs need a different mindset, don't they? They do. They need you to change your behaviour, not expecting to get instantaneous energy into your car. So you have to plan the charging regime against your use of the car. And in some cases, think about the time of when you're doing that, even in the day, because of the cost of actually physically doing that. And the third point is just getting access. In the street we live in London, there are two public charging points. And if you want to charge direct from your own property, out come the cables, you have a crisscross of wires across the road. So you have to work out, when can I get access to the charging point near my house? These take a little bit of thinking. You get the feeling there's got to be some kind of disruptive technology comes in to solve that particular problem. I'd like to think so. And also different ways of permitting and parking in London, perhaps. And a reminder that you can find this week's post, Charging Up the Batteries, on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google and Amazon. Going back through the Green Edge archives, in February this year, we ran a post on skilling up for net zero at Portsmouth International Port. Now, the port has set the target of being the first net carbon neutral UK port by 2030 and the first zero emission port by 2050. 
And at the time of talking with Jerry Clark, who was running his role as sustainability champion alongside his job as one of the port's pilots, he made a good case to us for bringing in a full-time sustainability officer. But I haven't got time. <laughs> I've got nine projects bouncing around up and down. And I work very closely with Steve Watkins, the chief and head of engineering. He is also the facilities manager and he's working flat out. So he's got me, admittedly, they're projects that I've funded through grant, but I'm coming up with engineering projects and he must groan every time I tell him we've got another project, but they're all moving things forward. We're happy to say that Portsmouth International Port now has that person on board. She's called Ellie Howe and she was appointed as the port's environmental and sustainability coordinator in September. We caught up with Ellie the other day to hear about some of the priorities for her new job. Grant writing and grant applications has definitely become part of my job in the last couple of weeks because going green is is not cheap. And when you want to be leading the way, you have to identify places where you can have funding. It's really, really, really important because we have our own business needs to see to. We have growth that we want to do as a business so if I can get funding or anything like that to help us along that journey that's I think quite a really big part of my job. Last week on The Green Edge we posted about the routes people might take into careers in sustainability so we were keen to hear from Ellie about the route she took into her new job. She told us that after leaving school with A-levels she worked for a few years in the banking sector up in Townside but then she started looking for a change. During initial lockdown, I sort of had a realisation that it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I, I really wanted to find something with a bit more purpose and something I was really passionate about was the environment. But I like to think I was, you know, I was quite a tick boxy person. I was the person who went out and was like, I'm not eating meat anymore. And I don't drink cow's milk anymore. And I'm not buying vegetables if they're wrapped in plastic. And I did all these basic things, but I didn't understand the science behind climate change. And I couldn't hold proper debates with friends and family about why I felt a certain way about the emergency that we're in. So I inquired with the Open University and decided to leave my job, work part-time and study full-time with the OU. Recently, she moved down south and heard about what became her new position at Portsmouth International Port. I just picked up the phone straight away, rang Steve, who's the head of engineering here, and just told him what my passion is. I just want to be able to help. I'm studying towards my degree. I'm in my late 20s. I've got tons of work experience. I just haven't got my degree yet. So my first interview was quite nerve wracking. I had a really big presentation to um, prepare for and obviously tons of questions. It went really, really well. And then I came in for my second interview, two more rounds of presentations, a tour of the port and more questions. So it really put me through my paces because they, they need to find the right person because time is of the essence here. They can't really waste time with, you know, people who aren't going to be able to just hit the ground running and just start trying new things. We finished our chat by asking her what advice she might have for someone thinking about a move into a sustainability career. There are so many opportunities out there. You might not have the right qualifications. You might not have the right experience. But if you communicate that this is your passion and you're doing this because you want to help and have that right attitude, I think it can open up a lot of doors for you. And on behalf of Michael and me at The Green Edge, we wish Ellie all the best in her new job. Now, Michael, let's talk a little about Chris Skidmore. 
In September, the MP for Kingswood was appointed by Liz Truss in her short time as PM to lead an independent review of Net Zero. And his report is due out in December, so we'll be looking out for that. We are, and our expectations are pretty high. We have great respect for Chris and the way he's managed to manage a cross-party activity on the whole Net Zero agenda. We just hope in his review he focuses and focuses on creating momentum and further ripples behind one or two things. They may be, we certainly hope, around skills and hopefully around retrofitting, something that makes a significant difference and could be accelerated at speed and we can scale up rather than generally going through lots of individual smaller areas. Because we hope when his report comes through, which should be by year end, it is accepted, picked up and run with. And he gives further momentum to the whole net zero movement. And we also see from his Twitter feed that Chris is stepping down at the next election. Yes, he is. Um, It'd be really interesting to see which roles he goes towards uh, over the next 18 months to two years. It'd be quite nice to see him perhaps chair of the Environment Agency or something that's very influential in shaping where we go to next. Or even the Climate Change Committee. I'm sure uh, John Swellman Gummer, as he was, might be looking forward to some form of retirement into the future and he could slot in very nicely there as well. He does say on the on the Twitter post, uh, this is Chris Gidmore, uh, that he wants to devote the next stage of his career to delivering a more sustainable future for energy and our environment. And it'll be interesting to see who's left around in Parliament after 2024 to carry the net zero button. I'm sure there'll be quite a few and certainly we'll do a little bit of digging over the next few weeks as we talk to people to see who those names might be. And we all share those with everyone. Thank you, Michael. Good to talk to you as ever. Take care. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter, to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights.